I think automation is a key part nowadays, um, but I think it's not the starting point normally. So um, to explain a bit better, I think usually the, the, the initial problem that we solved was, was super simple. People shared, produced a video and just wanted to have feedback within the frame. So with Feist that you can watch the video and then click in the video and just mark your comments there, right? It's visual. That was the main part. So just having a precise way to give feedback in an async way. So no need to, to meet for a meeting. That's the other thing that we prevent with Fisage. So we significantly reduce the number of meetings that you have to really get content approvals done. What is up, everyone? It's time for another episode of The Dirt, sponsored by Orchid Black, and I am your host, Jim Barnish. Have you ever come across a problem while at work and think, hmm, why hasn't someone fixed this yet? Well, Nicholas Dorn had just that thought back in 2015 when he was experiencing how inefficient the review process was for creative content. Fast forward to 2023, where his company FileStage is leading the market in this niche. From starting a company, remote company in fact, before it was cool, to struggling to run the finance and accounting department as a revenue leader, we hit on all of it in this episode of The Dirt. I highly recommend that you check out FileStage's recent research study on their website and their new free and small business plans because I sure will be. Also, if you are enjoying this show, please let us know by leaving a review and subscribing to the show wherever you stream. Okay, Nicholas, take it away, sir, and introduce the audience to your world. Yeah, hello. <laughs> nice to meet you all. Um, yeah, I'm happy to be on the show today. <laughs> I, 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 happy to have you. So, um, File Stage has been going for about, what, nine, almost a decade now? Nine, nine, eight, nine years, something along those lines? Yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty accurate, yeah. yeah. How has how the company evolved over the course of almost a decade yeah um sounds quite a long time now that you say it <laughs> but um yeah i think it all just started with the three founders i i think the official start was around 2015 right um and back then basically we had no no money but just a big idea so to say so you have to know that we we're all coming from the marketing and film industry originally um, and back then, I mean, especially my, my co-founder produced a lot of video content for different clients and then producing content was his thing and basically a couple of hundred content pieces. And also I, I used to work in marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, but once you had this content, you always ran into this process where you had to send this stuff to the clients. And then it, it was immediately like this email ping pong thing back and forth, back and forth. And by the end of the week, he was like super frustrated every time and said, okay, I spent 50% on, on communication and it's mm. ah, so unstructured and I just want to produce good content. Um, and I mean, you have to know that we are all kind of workflow guys at the same time. And so he said, Hey, why isn't there a good software tools? 2015 should be possible. And then we did some research and found out, no, there's nothing out there um, to do video commenting and, and approval. Uh, and this is how we started. So, uh, and then basically before we, we even built anything, we went out, had 30, 40 interviews with um, marketeers, with people working advertising, with film producers, just asked them, how do you communicate? How do you work? How do you share files? All that stuff. And then based on that, we developed the, the entire idea and the first version of our platform. Mm. Um, 
and then we launched like the beta basically. And then we continuously like asked for feedback and said, okay, what's shit about the platform still? What do you like? What do you want? Uh, and step by step, we developed it into something. Um, let's say that was able to produce the first revenue, win the first real customers. Um, and at that time we were still completely running with working students, interns, uh, nothing really big. Um, and then from there, we somehow managed to get the first seed round before some business angel investment to really, let's say, keep up, uh, keep us running. Um, yeah. And that was a bit like the early journey. And today we have over 700 customers wow. worldwide, lots of big brands using it. Um, lots of agencies still using it. So I'm quite happy. And then also we have 50 people, uh, in the meantime, working at five stage. So quite wow. a journey. Yeah. yeah. So, so problem that you guys are, are solving is essentially whether you're an agency or a marketing team, you're spending so much of your time just getting approval for content or testimonials or whatever it is, right? And from the, from the client is that, and, and basically you guys have created a platform to make that really seamless and, and efficient. Exactly. I think you should work for us. <laughs> you can <laughs> promote it well. So, um, what, what I, I will say is <laughs> maybe is that an offer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's talk later. <laughs> Not in public. Um, so what we always say, we, we say basically we fill the, fill the gap in the tech stack and the marketing tech stack, um, between content creation and content publication. Basically, so everything that happens between your Adobe and where you produce content and what happens finally once you publish the stuff on social media or a website or wherever. Um, and what we learned is just like the, the review and approval part, no matter if it's a video, if it's a website, is it a PDF, an office doc, it's just a nightmare. So people still depend on, on email and chat and spreadsheets and it's, it feels like not 2023. It, it feels like most companies still operate like they're in the nineties with just this, but mm. the content production part is super good. And also the performance side and analytics part is like, whoa, uh, perfect. But everything in between is no. <laughs> and yeah. this is where we attack. Yeah. yeah. So, so what role does automation play in all of this versus technology and efficiency? Um, I think automation is a key part nowadays, um, but I think it's not the starting point normally. So um, to explain a bit better, I think usually the, the, the initial problem that we solved was, was super simple. People shared, produced a video and just wanted to have feedback within the frame. So with Feist you can watch the video and then click in the video and just mark your comments there, right? It's visual. And that was the main part. So just having a precise way to give feedback in an async way so no need to, to meet for a meeting. That's the other thing that we prevent with Fisage. So we significantly reduce the number of meetings that you have to really get content approvals done. Mm -hmm. um, and also at the same time, we document everything that happens on the fly. So let's say somebody's commenting on it. It's completely documented. Um, you upload a new version to it. It's documented. By the end, you have a really nice report of everything that happened. Um, and that's, let's say the first part of it. So we organize your review and approval process in a better way. And that's the part one, uh, very basic, but this already helps you to reduce a lot of, uh, time spent basically, and, and increase like the time to, to produce stuff a lot. So normally like three times faster than 
when you don't use it. Mm -hmm. um, but then the second step, once you have built this, you can go into automation. And I think this is where it becomes really interesting, especially if you work with many different stakeholders. So one agency, 20 different brands, or one brand with lots of vendors and different departments that need to talk to each other. Um, then you can work like rule-based and say, okay, if marketing department has approved this file, then please automatically send it into the next step, inform legal, uh, give them a deadline of three days, remind them if they don't do anything within three days, and give me a Slack notification the moment the first one has approved it. So mm -hmm. automations like that uh, for us is like the key thing to to really improve it. Yeah. So how how do how do you handle uh, data security, privacy, things like that for your customers? Because I can imagine, especially over international uh, relationships and international customers, that's extremely important. Yeah. Yeah. I think what, what helped us here is that we we're coming from the German market where everybody is super paranoid about data and privacy and everything. And maybe you heard about that. Maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, within the first days, basically of fire stage, we were already confronted with it. And obviously, honestly, as a founder, you feel first like, okay, not something that's fun at the beginning, but anyway, it really trained us, uh, to become really, really good. So for us, it's like, let's say it's enterprise best practice to really follow all security best practice that are possible. Um, of course it's GDPR compliant from, from day one, all mm -hmm. those things that, that were super important. Mm, and at the same time, I think you need to be secure and that's otherwise, I mean, if you are not a secure platform that does everything to protect the data of your customers, you have a problem, especially in the enterprise field. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think it needs to be convenient. So uh, yes, you can have a hyper compliant platform and super secure, but at the end, if so complicated, nobody wants to use it right. and you have a problem. Um, and I think this is the key to really make sure it's convenient, but still secure. So, yeah. so how do you, how do you do that? Um, on the one side, try to, let's say, just show uh, what's really important to the user. Um, so let's say when you start with five stage, don't give them all the information at once, go give them 3 billion options to change. And by default, just give them the best options they can have. And then for the experienced users, offer them possibilities to, to adjust it in their way they want to. So for example, by default, every link you share is maybe password protected, but for the ones that are more advanced and say, Hey, my data is not so critical. I don't want passwords. It's easier. They can turn it off. Um, so stuff like this, I think like this is, is I think is key. Yeah. yeah. When, when you think about the trends in, mm -hmm. in your industry and, and where things are going, what, what's going on that's going to like, what are the industry trends that are going to be impacting your market? Um, a couple of trends, definitely. So, uh, we just recently run a really nice, uh, study and report ourselves where we, um, surveyed like 400 marketeers around about and asked them, okay, uh, how do you collaborate? Um, how do you work? Stuff like that. So on the one side, we see the bigger trends, right? There's a trend back to, back to the office and hybrid work. But at the same time, the interesting fact was that even though now around 70% or so have hybrid work and go to the office to work, 
they still by 80% collaborate digitally. So everybody goes mm. to the office, sits in front of their computer. And then, <laughs> so Amazing. interesting thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, really eye opening. I think that's, that's one bigger trend. I think that that's impacting more like everybody than on the marketing field. We see like still content production is, is an ongoing trend. So even companies spend more and more time really to produce content. Of course, a lot more video content. Um, ongoing trend uh, and then all the what you mentioned ai trend i think is plus automation plus integrations i think this mm. is the sweet spot so yes you want to automate processes but normally when you buy a software today you also want to make sure it fits perfectly well in your tech stack already so it right. needs to integrate and then last but not least um, we basically proactively work on stuff uh, where we support you and not doing all the manual things yourself. So an example, you have a contract and you negotiate a contract with a third party. Then there are multiple versions of your contract and you share the first one. And then the second version, you basically have some changes in it, right? So there's a change log. Uh, and what we offer, for example, as functionality right now is to give you an auto detection of all the changes between the different versions. Um, and you yeah. automatically see, hey, the third party here, they did not tell you but by the way, in paragraph two, they changed something here. Watch yeah. out. <laughs> um, and this is just one early example of what you can do. And I mean, what we're working on is also stuff like um, making sure uh, if an agency delivers uh, content to you, let's say a campaign, a new brochure, um, that it's in line with your brand guidelines. Today, there's a marketing or brand manager sitting there every Friday checking, hey, is the logo right? Is the font right? Uh, we just say, okay, there's an eye checking it automatically for you and detecting anything that is like not in line with your brand guidelines. Hmm. Um, so examples like this, I think we will see more of that this year, but especially, of course, like 24, 25 again. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you guys are, you're up above 50 employees now you mentioned, right? You guys are growing well, um, hiring well. Um, and when you think about how you got here, cause it's obvious, it wasn't like a six month journey, right? Um, it doesn't happen quite like that. What, what are some of the, some of the pitfalls, some of the obstacles, the dirt, if you will, that you experienced along the way that, um, that you look back and, and say is part of the reason you got here? Uh, I think there's, Many things where, where I, let's say over the years where I feel like, okay, I struggled at the beginning and then overcame, overcome the challenge and, and now it's good. Um, just to list a couple and maybe we, you can pick what's interesting, but I know for a long time we haven't had a proper finance and accounting team or anything. So every Friday night I was sitting there doing accounting and I hated it. Um, uh, or in there. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's it's the early early challenge, right? But uh, yeah. then also um, before we had the seed round, financial pressure really like we 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 knew like okay, this month I need to close five new customers, otherwise we have a problem. Next month I need to close again, again, again to just have something to eat. So we were paying us four hundred dollars or something a month, so yeah. not a lot. Yeah. Um, reliable marketing channels, crazy crazy journey to really build something that is stable and producing leads every month and ideally growing every month uh, without paying more. Um, building a founder independent sales team. Um, that's something 
was really challenging, but that we have achieved now. So yeah, a uh, couple of things we, we can talk about. I think. Yeah, just maybe one yeah. or two, right? Yeah, yeah. like every company. Uh, well, let's let's start from where you started because you mentioned it first for a reason. So fixing the whole financial accounting, right? You doing everything yourself. I imagine forecasting might have even been a little bit of a mess. You never, you know, that never happens, right? Talk, talk, yeah. <laughs> talk to me a little bit about um, where you were, what you learned from it and, and how you got here now. Yeah. So the way we, we shared like responsibilities in the company early on, I mean, three founders, uh, one has a technical background. It's like software engineer. The other one is more coming, like I said, from the advertising video industry. And there's also a design background. So they both are more on the product and technical side of things. Mm-hmm. And I, on the other side, managed marketing, sales, uh, finance, those things at the beginning. Mm. And I mean, I, I studied economy and media business, but let's say it's not something I really enjoy, like to sit on accounting, right? So I knew some stuff, but not too many details. So I really, for me, it was a side job and I I felt like every time I had to do it, I don't have time to close customers and work on marketing and sales. So, Mm -hmm. uh, so over the time, of course, I became super efficient in terms of how fast and quickly I, I just did the job. <laughs> but uh, of course it was also a bit error prone and I spent a lot of money also on a tax accountant and, and, and things like that. And then I tried to start to fix it with, with part-time people that were also not fully trained on it, but just to, to say, okay, I don't want to spend cash on it. It's just taking cash from me away, but I don't want to do it anymore. So I did that for a while and uh, obviously did not really fix the problem. So, uh, it, it led to more issues over time. So every time I worked on a report, I recognized, or oh, here's a mistake or here's something. So, um, by that I had a moment and the moment basically was because one of the business angels came at a certain moment and meeting said, Nicholas, I know you kind of maybe like analytics and numbers, but I think your accounting and reporting <laughs> it's not really good <laughs> you should get somebody in <laughs> uh, and then he luckily made an introduction to a part-time cfo and okay. it was our our entry point uh, that helped us at the beginning with a due diligence and then later on um became like a full part of five stage so at the beginning he worked for four or five other companies and then decided to go for us full-time and it was really kind of cool because of course we could afford him at the beginning but over time already had like somebody that knew the company. So um, definitely one yeah. of the best things moving forward now and freed up a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. So you're not the one doing all the books on the weekend anymore. Sounds like. Yeah. Now I'm doing other stuff for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Good. 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 Yeah, good. Yeah. So, um, all right. So, so that covers that finance accounting bucket, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of people can resonate with. Um, you also mentioned, building reliable marketing channels. What does that, what does that mean to you? Um, on the one side, it, it, it connects strongly with the forecasting thing. So um, the moment you have a sales team in place that needs leads, you need to have kind of some predictability. So if you have, let's say every month, like one month, a lot of leads, one month, no leads, certain month, some leads, someone uh, doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's the one part to deliver like a constant stream of leads. Uh, also more or less with the same quality. Um, that's reliability. And then I think on the other side, it's about 
how do you make sure you can can scale that so how do you make sure it becomes more over time right because if you don't scale the leads normally you cannot really scale the revenue uh to a certain extent mm -hmm. um so that was the second second condition Mm, and then also, I think what we, we also realized, I mean, not every marketing channel that maybe seems reliable at the beginning is something that you can scale or continue for a long time. So, um, mm. also some, something I learned in it on the journey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so what, what would be an example of that? Mm, I think it, let's say one of the early things we did back then when Facebook was still quite new and big <laughs> today, let's, let's debate, uh, <laughs> I personally went into a lot of Facebook groups, for example, and then just said, Hey, I'm a founder. I have this really nice tool here, beta. And I went into all kinds of film producer groups worldwide and just asked them if they want to test it out and give me feedback. Um, and that's how we won the first couple of hundred subscribers, basically. But yeah. of course, uh, there are just 50 or 100 groups and then it's saturated and then you have the next or paid advertising, um, Google AdWords. Uh, there's maybe just a volume of, I don't know, you can maybe get, uh, let's say 50, 50 new leads or customers a month from a certain keyword set and there isn't mm -hmm. more. So, um, also budget limits, of course. <laughs> um, so those are typical examples, I think, uh, that we have, have seen over time. Yeah. Sure, sure. The ROI, the ROI starts to, um, you know, not even out if you pour too much fuel on the fire, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It, uh, it can, uh, it can really lead to detrimental effects. Uh, that's, that's a great, that's a great point. So, um, you know, something else that, that you mentioned, um, around company culture, I'll just leave it at that and let you kind of talk about company culture and, and your lessons learned there. Um, yeah. So I think the, the story I always tell is that at the beginning, I, I thought company culture um, is really something you find in the management textbook at university. Yeah. And it's, it's like theory and blah, blah. And okay. it's really like the last thing you, you need to care about in a startup. It's like, come on, let's all work together and have a good time. And then everything's good. Um, today I would say I was completely wrong with that, <laughs> uh, and ignorant maybe also. So over time I learned a lot about that, but today I would say it's the number one thing that defines our companies, really like the company culture. It's where it all starts and where things work out or not. And I mean, with software at the end, you also have to, um, face basically the the truth software business is people business. So, uh, you, you don't have any machines software you use to produce software. Normally it's not that expensive. So the biggest cost you have, but also the biggest assets are people. Um, yeah. and people basically work together. They have issues, they have personal issues, whatever. So it's all about culture. You need to define basically how you want to work together and really take care of it. Like, like for a baby, really. Um, and that was again, a big eye opener for me to really shape the company culture in a proactive way. Um, yeah. So let, let's fast forward to the future when you're growing and scaling your next company after a massive exit at file stage, of course, what, <laughs> what, what are you doing differently the next time around? Mm, so I think on the one side, I, I personally learned a lot about, I mean, I, I can be quite open. I, I'm more like 
maybe output and task oriented than people oriented by by heart so that's that's a bit like my trade so i had to learn mm -hmm. a bit like on the other side of things uh, that's also super important but it's just me personally um and i think i'm a lot more aware of this now that helps um but then practically um what we have in place right now and that's something i would do from the beginning with the next companies every time we we hire somebody new it's already in the job description basically the culture is already, let's say, visible in the job description. Mm, and also when whenever we do any kind of employer branding stuff or when you try to discover something about FiSage and how we work, it's, it's visible somehow about our culture. But then once you apply, we have a interview process, three steps. Normally it's like the first, let's say, we, we check each other out interview. Then we have a technical interview where we go a lot about the details about your skills. And then there's the last interview that's just about culture. Um, and that's normally from somebody else than the original department that's hiring. So if marketing is hiring, maybe somebody from the development is, is running the, the, uh, the cultural interview. Uh, and this is the most critical one. And there we really on the one side share our values um, and really give them examples in how we work and how we solve problems. But at the same time, we really try to find out how they want to work, how they want to communicate what's important to them do we have the right fit here because i think if this doesn't match you have a lot of stress later on um, right. and frustration yeah. right no that's a great point that's a great point so what when you when you think of the three things that define what you want people to think of as the culture of file stage what are what are those Mm, on the one side, uh, we always say we are a feedback company. So said at the beginning, we had lots of interviews with potential customers. That's something as an ongoing thing externally. So whenever we produce a new feature, you can be sure that we had already a lot of feedback sessions before and asked them to see like mockups for the new feature and give us feedback. And uh, that's how we learn. That's how we improve from external people. But also mm -hmm. within the company, we try to really have a feedback culture where we say it's totally fine to give feedback to each other and ask for feedback, but also be very open to get feedback uh, as long as it's like helpful feedback and not nasty feedback that tries to pull you down. Right. So uh, we also have a saying that we always assume the best intentions if somebody is approaching us in the company. Right. Um, and that helps a lot. Um, I also say sometimes it's, I want people and that's something I became aware of pretty, pretty late that people start to see me as the CEO and therefore also maybe don't share openly their feedback. Uh, and that's what I really try to push, like give me feedback, give me hard feedback. And I think that I, I reached that point where people really give me open feedback and that helps. Um, so feedback, then second one is ownership. So we are a remote company, so I think it just works with, with full ownership. So we cannot work with people that need to be micromanaged and just need super clear instructions every day and otherwise they don't move, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's all about take your ownership, take your responsibility. Then it's a palace and a paradise where you can work. And otherwise <laughs> it's not the right thing for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the, the other big one is, um, asking why and giving context. So on the one side, if you want something from somebody, try to give them as much context as you can. So I think 
yeah, if if you give a task to somebody in the team and they don't know the bigger thing behind it and just see the task, they will just perform it on that level. But if they know why we are doing it and the bigger picture and have the full context, then they can do a really good job and maybe come up with something that you never expected uh, could be a solution. Uh, and that's why I think this this is so so important to share context and empower people. Yeah. So so feedback, ownership, and context. Those are the three main things, and then we have three other things. <laughs> oh yeah, let's yeah. keep going. Yeah, We're okay. I'm <laughs> learning so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the one the the last thing is team player. I mean, it's it's obvious, but it's really about that. So if we if we party any success, it's mostly about the team. And not like, hey, this person is great. So it's more like, okay, the team together achieved stuff. Mm, excellent communicators. Again, remote culture. What we learned over time, nothing just happens communication-wise. So it's not like in the office, right, where you meet in the coffee kitchen or where you have lunch together and then you just share information like that. It just flows in a small team. It doesn't mm -hmm. happen. Um, so you really need to be explicit about how you communicate and what you share. So we really build a culture where, for example, we use Slack internally, where we have different channels, of course, but let's say marketing once once a week or so writes, writes an update about, hey, this is what we have done this week. Those are the results. Um, so that everybody else is in the loop and can then relate to it, right? Um, or when we, when we work on projects, we constantly give like written updates or what we really like to do is like to record small, uh, let's take Loom videos. There are also other tools where you can screen screen share your stuff, record those videos uh, and then share it. And then async somebody else can, can watch it a day later, but has the full context. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why we really think we need to be smart about communication. Um, again, it ties in really well to ownership part and feedback part and all that. Um, and then the last thing is like knowledge seeker plus problem solver. So, uh, yeah, we want people that at a certain point bite into a problem and let's say Friday night, you figure out you're the last one in and there's a bug. Do you go home and let it, let it stick like that and say, oh, Monday I'm out of office. Interesting. Somebody else will deal with it or you, you're going to fix it. Right. Uh, right. So again, it ties in into ownership, um, but super important one. And yeah, so this this is kind of our DNA. Yeah. Well, it's it's no wonder why you guys have been able to hire well when you clearly have an understanding of what you want in your DNA. That's that's uh, that's that's great. So when you when you think about um, decision making as a team, right, um, and informing that decision making, obviously these these uh, rules of engagement or culture or values, however we want to characterize them, play an important role. But what role does data uh, play in in making decisions for you guys? I think it's a core part of what we do is to try to have on the one side the right data and be clear about the tracking. So obviously also learning curve how at the beginning as a company, you're not so organized with data and how you track stuff and everything. It's, it's also a challenge. Yeah. Um, and I know from many other founders in my network, it's still a challenge. And for us, it's, we're on a good level, but it's still something that we can improve. Um, but anyway, so the more customers you have, the more data sources you also have available. And for example, um, 
let's say we want to run a new pricing initiative. Um, that's something we now do as a group and where we look at a lot of data points. So that was something that we just recently launched a free plan, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. and this is mainly based on, on data. Uh, also launched like a, a, a plan for, for small companies, really affordable, also based on data. Um, in a nutshell, we looked at many different, um, yeah, quantitative data points that we collected over time. So for example, what is the company size of a lead? How many leads? What regions are they coming from? Plus, let's say qualitative data insights from customer success, sales from demos, yeah. reconversations, and then try to plug it all together. On the other side, I think the difficulty with data is you never have enough data to have a complete decision. Um, there's always like, how do you interpret certain things and how do you deal with, okay, let's look at the 80% and then be fine with the last 20%. I think it's often better to look at data, take an informed decision and then run it, run an experiment and take this data again uh, um, and and adopt what you have there at the mm -hmm. beginning rather than trying to be perfect with the first shot. Um, so that's also something I learned over time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. So this, um, this new free plan and new plan for SMBs, is that connected to some of the research that you did in that research study? Is that what, what identified some of those needs or, or how, do those things connect in any way? Um, no, for, for, for this, this was, was kind of independent. So basically okay. we were already working on the pricing stuff. Um, the, the other survey now is really interesting, let's say for the content we produce going, going forward. So we also learned about like, what kind of content shall we, shall we have on the website, on the product, uh, on the blog. Um, but for the pricing basically was mainly the, the information we, we collected from, um, let's say the, the lead onboarding process. So what kind of information do they fill in? Then mm -hmm. from the HubSpot data we had, um, plus from website visitor data we had. So those were all kind of, of points we looked at. Plus the customers that came in and bought versus the customers basically that maybe started something but never bought from us. And there was a significant gap uh, with certain people. Plus again, like a sales coming back and say, hey, they're, so many companies that want it, mm -hmm. but it's not their price range and they're too small for this. So we leave them yeah. on the table. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and that's why, why we went for it. Yeah. All right. Uh, last question before we hop into, um, and, and close this out with our founder five today. So right before we do that, I got one more question around the trends of the industry that kind of ties some of this stuff together. So, um, when you think of, uh, what the future looks like, call it five, 10 years down the road, you, you pick what, what is going to be shaping the future of this industry? What does it look like, um, down the road? Really tough question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, make sure you're right. Cause otherwise I'm yeah, going to make sure you're you. right. It's recorded. <laughs> um, I, I personally think on the one side, we, we just are at the beginning of something quite crazy to to happen. I think what we see there with AI and chatbot that really just peaked it, I think for me is comparable to, to the beginning of the internet. Mm. So I think it's not just for our industry, but just think about how Google works today and then think about how many businesses depend on Google in terms of 
producing advertising or getting traffic via advertising or getting traffic via SEO uh, and producing content basically to rank for Google. Mm, Now take that away and say everybody suddenly is just using a chatbot and doesn't need to really search manually. Mm-hmm. Then you have a big change. Um, and then uh, combine that with maybe what happens on social media recently, that maybe it's it's uh, not human content anymore, but just like, let's say, artificial content. Um, and then I think you have a really interesting combination that marketeers in our industry need to face. So, yeah. I mean, at the end, it's all about how do you sell your stuff and how do you reach your target audience? Um, what is the right way to do it um, in an efficient way, right? And I think this is this is the main main thing I'm looking at right now. Um, plus, I think we just see software-wise, we're still just, let's say, starting somewhere. I think in future, it's even more software tools. It's even more integrated uh, altogether. Um, I think, yeah, many, many businesses today just understood that they can solve most of their manual problems with software. So I think in the next couple of years, I mean, we had it during, yeah, during COVID. Um, but I think still there's so much potential for software growth overall. Um, and there are so many solutions on the table where we just don't understand yet that they will, that we will need them in two years. But in two years, you will think, Hey, why, why, why haven't we thought about it before? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's how it always goes, right? It's the the way of cycles. Awesome. So, um, all right, let me, uh, let me close things off here with, uh, our founder five. So, uh, first question, uh, number one metric or KPI that you are relentlessly focused on. I have two. (laughs) It's monthly active users, um, and MRR. Yeah. Those monthly recurring revenue, monthly active users. Yes. You seem like a by the month kind of guy, maybe, huh? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> All right. Second one is uh, top tip for growth stage founders like yourself. Um, Monitor your marketing and sales spendings quite closely from the beginning because it's super easy to overspend. Mm-hmm. And let's say be trapped into something that's not 100% driving results. Um, so that's something I would really closely monitor. Um, and the other thing, don't miss the point where you should hire professional people and switch from interns, working students, part-time people. Uh, I think we we did that too late um, mm-hmm. or were too cautious. So definitely consider to invest in one, two, three really good people from the beginning rather than have 10 interns. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Favorite book or podcast that's helped you to grow as a founder? Um, My favorite book, all-time favorite book is The Ultimate Sales Machine Hmm. from Chet Holmes. I love it. (laughs) Old but gold. I read it a couple of times. It, It teaches you a hell of things about self-organization and structure first and say this is the foundation and second uh, how to how to really sell and build a pitch and everything so yeah. great book yeah old is the new gold i love it, mm. love <laughs> it. all right uh, piece of advice that counters traditional wisdom piece of advice that counters uh 
I'm a bit blank, a blank here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, you know, you've said a few of them, so you want me to just mm-hmm. throw one out there based on uh, based on what I what I believe you believe. Yeah, that would be <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can help me out. <laughs> well, I, you know, yeah. I, I think it is uh, traditional wisdom that you should um, hire, you know, cheap in your early days. And, mm-hmm. and there's some truth to getting interns and some folks to do some tasks and, and, and some labor. But at the end of the day, having a couple key people, um, that are all stars, um, and paying up for them can, can make all the difference in the company. So I'm going to go ahead and use that one as your traditional wisdom too. How about that? Perfect. I like it. I, right. I can add one if you like. Yeah, please, <laughs> please. Yeah. Uh, I, I think personally, Let's say, don't don't think that with money everything becomes easier. So I think that's that's the the thing many people think. They think, hey, suddenly when I have money, then suddenly all the leads will come in. And sure. uh, no, nope. <laughs> I think solve your problems first, and then when you you solve kind of your problems, then take money on top to make it even faster, uh, solve it even faster. But not like think about i have a problem and if i have money then the problem is solved uh yeah doesn't ain't gonna happen i think yeah, yeah i think there uh there might have been a rapper called the notorious big that used to say more money more problems ain't that the truth <laughs> <laughs> i think uh, yeah definitely there's something in it <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's amazing how many how many similarities there are to rap into building a business but we we'll talk about that in the next one all right so uh Closing us uh, off here with one last question. What is going to be the title of your autobiography when all is said and done? No pain, no gain. <laughs> no pain, no gain, no money, no more, more money, more problems. How about yeah. that? <laughs> That's oh, a good one. Let's take it. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Well, yeah. uh, Nicholas, this has been awesome, man. Um, you've given so much to our listeners today. Uh, time for a little bit of self-promotion. How can those listening help you out? So I think everybody that's working in agency, in the agency world, advertising, marketing, content production, whenever you face this problem of review and approving content and you search for a solution, then yeah, go to the Five Stage website. Uh, we now have a free plan in place. Uh, also free trials. So I think there's really no reason why you shouldn't use FileStage to share and approve your files. Um, and then just spread the word. So uh, that's, I think, what I'm hoping the most for, of course. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I will, uh, I'm going to try it out myself. How about that? That sounds really nice. <laughs> Everyone else follows suit. All right. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> sounds awesome. good. Nick, this, yeah. is, this has been great, man. Thank you so much. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Definitely LinkedIn. I'm super active on LinkedIn. Um, Yeah. Perfect. All right. Nicholas Dorn, everyone. Thanks for joining us on The Dirt. Thanks for having me. Really nice. (laughs) If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.